Hi, I'm Mark Haywood, and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. I find it really sad when you've got so many amazing, talented people in the world that are just sat there waiting for the right moment. From time to time, as writers, we need a boost. Not a creative one, as we're known for delivering on this show, but a motivational one. We've typically found ourselves living this life because we love the process. But there's one part of that process we often neglect or don't feel expert in, and that's the business of writing. After all, we still need to put food on the table, right? Unfortunately, the business element is something we often think about after the hard work is done, whether that's writing the book or polishing the screenplay. But it actually needs to be present from the very beginning. It's how you go from creative questions like, which audience do I want to target, to what will make my audience buy my stuff? Good writers aren't necessarily good entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurialism is a skill that can be learned. Finding the right community to support you is critical. And that's why we're speaking today to performing arts business coach, Kerry Layton. Chapter one, learning to pivot. Kerry is a jazz musician and has performed at events like Glastonbury Festival and Alexandra Palace. She also runs a boutique music agency in London called Dixie Bird Records. Then there's her new academy and coaching business for artists, which as many good businesses have, began life in lockdown. Dixie Bird lost £60,000 worth of live booking contracts overnight when the pandemic hit. And with no end in sight, it was time to pivot. I set up um, my School of Professional Badasses and uh, my coaching academy. And I really, I just learned so many. It's like lockdown for me. What it really did for me as an entrepreneur was flexed my muscles. And there's a lovely quote that's, I wish I could remember who came up with it. But there's, they talk about a bounce back muscle. Bad things will happen all the time, but there's opportunities there. And it's how quick you can kind of bounce back that you can measure your merit, right? And I was absolutely gutted. I'd built my startup business. I was a jazz singer. I'd built my business up from scratch with a small investment, which actually I talk about in my trainings now because it got spent on all the wrong things, <laughs> completely the wrong things. And... I really grieved that in lockdown, you know, the first month of lockdown, I was absolutely devastated. I was, we'd just turned a profit in the business. I had thousands of pounds worth of contracts on the table for my artists throughout the rest of the year, going into the year after. And I'd done it. I'd kind of finally done it. And then when it happened, I was absolutely gutted. So as like all of us, it was really weird adjustment period. So I gave myself a month and then I I, I bounced back and I had this wonderful moment where I'd you know, surrounded myself, I always surround myself with great leaders, great thought leaders, great entrepreneurs, I'm absorbing myself in their podcasts, books. And there was a there's a common thread, which runs throughout history of great leaders and great thought leaders, really. And it's that you, um, you, you can't take that skill away from someone, right? So the industry might go up and down, you might lose money. But if you're skilled as an entrepreneur, and you've got those badass skills, it doesn't matter what's going on around you externally, you've got the power to bring something to the table. There are people out there who've made millions and lost it overnight. 
through things that weren't their fault. But these people have consistently picked themselves back up and applied what they've known and gone back out there and fixed things. So I had this really nice realization that I thought, oh gosh, you did it. You did it. You applied everything you did. You experimented, you tried, and you actually did it. The pandemic wasn't your fault, you know, because I beat myself up a lot about that at the time. And I felt like a real failure. But I was like, well, I didn't create the bloody pandemic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So when I'd finally kind of pulled my socks back up, it was like a, a real sort of steep learning curve. It was my do or die moment. It was a chance to really put together everything I'd learned into practice and go for it and be responsive to what came back from my audience and constantly pivot and tweak and nurture and be on it. And it was a six month intensive period. So I asked myself a series of questions in lockdown. After that month of going, ah, I started to ask myself questions. So one, and this is what I coach my artists with now is when it comes to making money, you wanna focus on the service that you provide people. And I think that we can often just get really caught up in what we want to put out there. And, and from an artistic perspective, yes, we have to protect our integrity. And sometimes those things might not make money straight away. You know, it might take a while for people to catch on. But actually, if we're going to be really methodical about this and say, we've got to monetize our art business, we've got to monetize our creative writing business, we've got to monetize our music project. It starts with a list and a series of questions and the question I asked myself was, what were my absolute core skills that I had and what was really needed at that exact moment? And my core skills were, I was an ex-drama teacher, so before I was a musician and before I was a, a music agent, I was a drama teacher so and a, and a youth worker. So I put all of those skills down and I said, yes, I can do this. And then I asked, what do people need? You come from a place of service and what people what people needed at that time was some childcare online and they needed a, someone they could trust to take their child onto Zoom a couple of times a week and nurture them because children were, there's an, still an ongoing epidemic of mental health in children. So I put all those bits together and I started a drama academy for children and it was amazing and it was a real experience in itself of pivoting and setting up an online business so I don't do that anymore I now coach teachers and performing artists how to set up their business and how to run their businesses with a real badass mentality okay so like we're not we're responding to what we've got around us right now which is what all the great entrepreneurs have ever done is respond is pivot and respond and serve the notion of start with what you have not what you want is really interesting because people often are too caught up in waiting until they're ready, which kind of means you'll never be ready. You can't start from a future position. You can only start now with what you have and what you're capable of doing. And it sounds so simple, but it's so empowering to just think, why the hell am I waiting? Just, just do it. Just, I had a phrase which I kind of ended up living by and still do, which was just make it a thing and it will be a thing, right? Don't wait for someone to give you permission, just start. Do you see how empowering that is when you give that gift to your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I, everybody, myself included back then, um, 
there's always a sense of wait of that perfection and waiting for something to be perfect. Um, I didn't sit down and write the curriculum to my first ever six week course with the children online. I put it out there and I responded. I said, this is what I can do. And then I responded to what their needs were. And I wrote it week by week based on what they did. So I got the people in and then I did that. And I find it really sad when because so many amazing, talented people in the world that are just sat there waiting for the right moment. I know a, a really good artist friend of mine, 20 years ago, I was getting into the business of creative business a, a long time ago. And I um, I said, oh, I found this amazing book. I really recommend it to you for your artwork. And, and she said, oh, you know, I'm not ready for that. I want to get all this stuff in place, all this stuff in place. And this person is a phenomenal artist. And now they've actually taken the leap and they're making money out of their their art but it took them 20 years and imagine if they'd have had the confidence to say yes I'm just going to get started because what you think your audience need and what they want are very very different and what you think will land and what will actually land is very different and I'm not suggesting people water down their artistic integrity but having some monetized wheels in your business affords you to indulge in projects which can be more experimental or actually there's no pressure on them having to bring you an income. That's the point. When you think about your badass collective, um, and I love the title, when you think about that group of individuals, are there patterns and similarities in the things that they are looking for help with? One that comes up time and time again with writers and, and the writing community is this classic sense of imposter syndrome and that they don't necessarily feel that they can make the leap because why would anybody want to read their work? These are things you would have heard, you know, I mean, we're talking about, you know, people in, in any artistic endeavor, it's all, it's all the same stuff, right? But are you, are there patterns and similarities of, of the things that you see people needing help with? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm still researching a lot of what people want and need in that group backstage badasses and I think the imposter syndrome thing is really important and I think what I also feel like I hear a lot of is um the comparisonitis you know which is ever so slightly similar but ever so slightly different it's very competitive okay so you you know people will be inclined to go and research their competition but sometimes I kind of advise against that I just think do what you're doing and do it well and be and I think the imposter syndrome thing I really like the idea that you don't have to be the best to be able to contribute towards a landscape, towards a cultural landscape, towards an idea or towards putting what you want to put out there. You know, I, I never claim to be the best. There's loads of coaches in the music industry. You know, I could name five now in the performing arts industry. But my unique experience, um, I have I've not let it hot the imposter syndrome, I've not let it hold me back. I'm nowhere near with the level they are, but I've still got very valid contributions to make, which have really started to generate a lot of revenue for the people in my audience. So that's, you know, yes, I hear that. And that's my answer. I just say do it anyway. But the other theme that I hear a lot of is sort of more like a time strategy. So I get a lot of badasses coming to me. A lot of clients ask me, how on earth do I juggle my time? Because as a creative, they don't know how to manage being in the studio and getting the gigs and being on tour and doing all of that. So that's one thing that I really help artists to do is get a framework together so it's easy. It's almost automated in their head so they don't have to be switching. The other thing 
that I hear a lot of. And I think um, I'm wanting to create my big mission with Backstage Badasses and my coaching academy is to raise the financial vibration of the performing arts industry from us first, not looking at top-down funding. So I'm vocal about being anti-government funding, even though I've I've had government funding. And I, I want to say as a caveat, I support that. And I think if you've got it, amazing. I think there's a lot of pluses. But I think that's another way of really holding yourself back as a creative entrepreneur is to always be looking for investment from the outside when you've got the skills already within you to monetize part of your project and bring money in. And how good does it feel to actually go and invest money in your own project that you've made yourself and you've not had to jump through a load of hoops, you know? So, I, so that's the one thing. I mean, I have clients that range from opera singers to um, dancers to producers, and that that is the most common theme. It's performers who've already started to create money in their businesses, but now they want more strategy, more systems so that they can build their game and they can get it more consistent and sustainable and that's what I'm really excited about working with people on it's kind of like a proven concept but now they need the next steps you know it's like how do we do this chapter two victim or opportunist establishing a business or anything for that matter is one thing keeping it going well that's a different ball game altogether Behind the spine is a lockdown baby, so a lot of what Kerry says really resonates with me. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that one subject that came up a lot in the early days of the show was the notion of the arts suffering, the industry's struggle to survive through lockdown. What we forget, though, is that the arts was plagued with issues long before the pandemic. Covid was responsible for a lot, but it wasn't to blame for the work-for-nothing, do-it-for-exposure attitude in the arts, the lack of equal opportunities, the lack of equal pay, the list goes on. These are all problems that existed before and still exist today. So what's really exciting about Kerry's proposition and badass collective is she's enabling people to take control of their own journey within the arts to bypass those problems. Because the truth is, if you wait for the funding telephone to ring you're going to starve pretty quickly. A lot of NGOs, a lot of big organisations that were reliant on government funding, um, you know, I really hope I don't offend any listeners to this, but I think it makes organisations very lazy. And some of the best organisations I've seen have got a kind of 50-50 structure. So they have a bit of sustainable funding coming in, but they also still have to flex their entrepreneurial arm and they have to constantly be looking at service. And we're a business like no other. The creative industries pre-pandemic, this statistic was that we contributed to £33 billion of the UK economy with the creative industries. And that was from the Creative Industries Federation 2019 report. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that looks like now, but you look at, um, I mean, streaming services like Netflix, Prime, they're making their own blockbusters now. So... There's always money. And I just think that we um, I think that performers are part of the problem. I think creatives are part of the problem in that we like you said, we waiting for the funding telephone to ring. It's not going to happen. And there's a there's a case in any business. You've got people who in any industry, you'll have people who are victims or opportunists right and there's never there's no such thing as external influences. Yes, there is. But you can you can't you can only control what you can control. And if you can control having a good mindset, number one, 
that's like the first place to start. Instead of it caving in, just a, a tweak in mindset to be open to opportunities. There's loads of money out there, you know, and I, and obviously we're living in a cost of living crisis. Yes, we need to be sensible with money, but there is still trillions and billions and trillions of dollars circulating on the planet. Like there's so much money flying around and it's about being of service. So you've got to work out how to be of service. How is your creative enterprise being of service? And if it's not being of service, redundant, it's going to be really hard to make money. So are you offering someone a great opportunity to have a bit of escapism once a day? You know, are you offering them an educational service? Are you offering them a live entertainment booking package? You know, there's people need things. There is an economy still very, very active. And the creative industries is still a huge part of that. So I think it's um, it's getting people to that place where there's no victim mentality. It's like, oh, you know, the pandemic was so bad. Like, I'm actually so bored of saying that, but it is fact that thing did happen but you can choose how you respond to those events I know a lot of amazing artists incredible session guitarists who've played with huge bands who've gone and got driving jobs you know soul destroying but that was their response in that time you know I don't think that it's healthy to say oh people should have gone and set up new businesses and all of that you do what you have to do but we've all had to adapt and have that sort of healthy mindset and people are coming back and the industry is changing but there's loads of opportunities out there i see it every day in my agency there's so many opportunities as a writer i have not once got paid work solely on the strength of a writing sample not once has yeah. that happened to me the commissions and the paid work that i've got through words on a page have been because of my approach to preparation and the industry and mindset and flexibility and teamwork mm -hmm. and all of the things that I imagine you're trying to get your clients to, to think about. It's often struck me that we teach creatives how to create, but not necessarily about the business of creation. So we teach artists who paint how to draw and how to paint and how to use watercolors. We can teach writers about syntax and structure and, and, and character development and all of that. We can teach actors how to say a line, how, where to stand so that they're on, um, you know, they're in focus. But we rarely teach them about tax or about planning or about business development or, or anything like mm. that, which means that so many artists are all at the same level because I'm not the best. I might not even be the best writer on this interview. Right. That's a distinct possibility. And it is every time I have a session like this, but it doesn't matter because I don't need to be. I yeah. need to be more prepared at other things. So there are great writers out there who will not get work because of their mindset, because they are inflexible. When you see the lights go on in your clients, do you do you get the get the, the sense that? actually they start to see themselves in a different peer group now because what you're equipping them with takes them out of artists who can just create art to artists who understand the business of creating art do you see that light go on in them yeah it's really satisfying and a lot of my one-to-one -one clients my very important badasses as i call them my vibs they're already making money you know they're not entry-level artists not entry-level um creatives but what I've loved seeing a shift in them is their self-belief. So from the outside in, one of my clients, when I read 
their website and I thought, but they're smashing it. Why do they need me? And I think that we um, creatives that we have to project that image all the time. You know, I had that for years in my career. People were like, well, why are you broke? Why can't you come on holiday to Spain? <laughs> you know, you're doing really well. You've done that thing with the BBC and you've done that thing on telly and you've done this press article and underneath the surface, your legs are doing that, which no one can see on the podcast, but I'm like fast duck legs. <laughs> You're just sort of like paddling to stay afloat. And I see that in artists. They have this amazing projected image, which 100% is correct. But the self-belief sometimes for them to step into that because they don't always see the sustainability in their bank balance and that impacts their self-worth. So that's so beautiful to see that transformation. Um, I do energy healing with my clients as well. I don't just teach strategy. I actually believe that's just one part of the puzzle. And creatives are very sensitive creatures with a lot of life experience. And a lot of that can create self-belief issues. So that, for me, is the most magical part of my job when I've done a, a transformational energy healing session with someone. And I could actually, two clients, I've seen their faces completely change on the Zoom. And then they've gone off and rested and they've had huge, huge transformations and big job opportunities showing up out of nowhere because they've just shifted that inner self-belief. And the other thing that I just love, just touching on what you just said again, is it's not necessarily from a sort of arrogant or an ego perspective I've not seen anyone go oh well now I'm better than everybody else I, I haven't seen that and I, I wouldn't support that attitude anyway because we all rise together but what I've loved seeing with um, some of my badasses is them stepping into a leadership a really truly authentic leadership role within their own businesses or within their own community and that comes from you know they say lead from the back right and that's what I'm building. I'm building creative leaders within these. And, it, and it, the ripple effect of that in an infrastructure, in a creative business, in a creative economy is so powerful. It's so powerful because when you've got an empowered leader on board, they empower everyone around them. So that's another beautiful transformation. Chapter three, the creative path. As creatives, when one of us wins, we all win. It's not about being better than others, better prepared maybe, but not better. Towards the end of this series of the podcast, I'll be in conversation with Jane Campbell, a writer who's had her very first book published at the age of 80. It's a collection of short stories about what it's like to be an older woman. It's never too late to publish. And news like this just gives you such a lift, a real cause for celebration. And fundamentally, I believe that that's what this community support structure should be all about. Celebration of everyone who's made it, is making it, or hasn't started making it yet. We all have our own unique stories and challenges. Collaboration, not competition, is what will help us overcome the difficulties and thrive. I love that. And the age of, I really think the age of the... Um, Somebody coming along, you know, a, a fat walleted investor, a fat walleted publisher sitting and turning up at your book launch or your music, um, independent music release and saying, yes, you know, like I imagine them to have some sort of New York accent. <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to sign you. And and that's it. You know, those days are gone. And um, the music industry specifically had a very short period like that. And it's it feels like we're people are still riding on the laurels of that. And I think. Yes, there's Hollywood, there's big blockbusters, there's celebrities, there's great, we can aspire to be 
recognized on that level and and absolutely we should you know you should if that's your dream go for it but like I love that story of the eight year eight year old woman because what it is all about is sharing stories to enrich our life experience and she's done that and that to me is a way more accessible human angle like I love that than than going and actually listening to someone who's kind of made it big but actually probably had a very different thing there's so many different ways of achieving success isn't there it's like what does success mean to you if success means to you the only level of success means to you is to get a big blockbuster signed then go after that with everything okay but success actually like that that woman like had a story in her and she's released it's same level of success to me yeah completely for people who are listening to this and might be interested in um, reaching out, we'll obviously put links in the show notes to um, Backstage Badasses. What plans do you have for the further development of the, the business, Kerry? Well, the Backstage Badasses group, I'm still, we're growing that. And I, I really want that to be a free community of people around the world who are growing their show businesses and able to put questions in there about clients and bookings and things. So we're really, that group's really growing. It's really great community. And I've got a free training. So people can, if you're interested, if you're, I've put a sales and marketing training together, the power hour. So I'll share that link with you, Mark. And um, that's generated over six figures of revenue in just the first quarter of this year. I've got a spreadsheet. Every time someone contacts me and says, this made 800, I made 850 pounds a day by doing this. I put it in there and we just tipped the six figure mark recently. So this just proves my point. This is what we can do when we just generate the sales ourselves and not rely on external funding. So collectively, your backstage badasses have, as a group, earned over six figures by applying the lessons that you're trying to get them to understand and then and then apply to their own life. That's just my free training. Wow. That's completely free. Yeah. And that was just in the first three months of this year and with just 60 participants. So at this time we're doing the podcast, there's 380 people in the group. Not everyone's done the training yet. I was doing it as a live round. And what I've done is um, I'm experimenting, which is another thing that I teach my clients a lot, is to, I've experimented, I've pre-recorded that now and there's a workbook and people can just go get stuck into that and share it out. So that's that's my plan is to really grow that grow the collective revenue that we're making from the free training alone and yeah what I'm doing right now with my clients is that I'm really only working with people on a one-to-one basis so I've got my under my wing coaching packages so we do three or six month coaching where I'm really helping performers to monetize their art it's artistic development and business strategy with energy healing in really I can tailor it towards wherever they're at um, so that's it, really. I just want to kind of get a great roster of um, like my clients. I'm growing that arm to the business. And then there's going to become a group coaching program down the line later on this year, because that, you know, is a really great way of me providing a, a, a lower price point for people to get involved with rather than one to one group experience. But, yeah, we, we've got like um, a planning container as well, which we experimented with this year. And I'll do that again next year. So it's another thing I find artists really struggle with planning. So like actually sitting down. So I teach corporate CEO style strategies, but to creative. So yeah, if people are interested in that, I'd say just come and join Backstage Badasses first and foremost. I've often believed that I do 
a fair amount of work in helping creatives be a bit more business savvy, but also perhaps more work helping business people harness the storytelling power of creativity. There are definite parallels there. I think you might get some new subscribees to your free training off the off the back of the, off the back of this. But one final question, if I may, it doesn't always come up naturally in conversation, but I think I'd like to ask it this time round: is given what you do in your line of work. Are there any particularly helpful or unhelpful portrayals of what it's like to be a performer or a or, or a coach or a, an empowerer of creativity and, and coaching in you know stage page or, or screen? Well, I work as an agent as well, and uh, you know, as, as you know, that runs alongside the coaching academy. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of unhelpful portrayals of of like I was talking about before, that little window we had in the music industry where we had like Denmark Street and, you know, there was the big major music publishers and you'd have some happy-go-lucky 17-year-old guitarists that would just step into their office and they'd be signed with multi-million dollar deals, you know. And I think it's really unhelpful to watch that. And I, I think that it's great. It does represent a very small period of time and use it to inspire you to keep going because all of those individual artists like you know I'm thinking about Elton John here when I'm talking I'm thinking about um the Beatles and I'm thinking about Queen you know I'm thinking about how they, those groups were formed there's great stories there you know there's great stories that we can borrow and we can apply to our creative uh, practices and our development but we I think that it's more helpful to um dig down that that documentary about Muscle Shoals you know and how he funded that and I that is start to scratch beneath the surface and go and look at some things like some documentaries, some programs or read some books about adversity in the arts. I've always throughout my career as a coach and a band leader, a singer, a director, producer, you know, whatever project I've been involved in, whether it's a social enterprise or a limited company, if it's creative, I've always subscribed to the philosophy that your creativity will influence the budget and the budget will influence the creative path and that again is a really strong entrepreneurial thing you know we look at the bottom line and we say right look well yeah we could borrow 500 pounds to make this costume or we could use the 50 we've got left in the budget there you know on a really small scale and actually how does then that 50 pound budget to create this final stage costume influence the story of that stage costume? How does it influence how we present that stage costume? You know, does it then change the narrative of that performer? You know, and when you're devising work, whether it's a corporate piece, like my corporate clients, when they come to me, you know, they have a budget of say, what, 2000, let's say for a band, you know, which would be sort of a, a slightly lower end, but they, they've got that, you know, and, they, and we would kind of reverse engineer what they'd want. But if they came to me and said, Oh, give me a list of options. Well, God, I could be sending them over bands that cost 10, you know, for their act, And then they'll just say no. So it's like, the budget will always influence the creative journey. And um, when I came across David Burns, um, how music works, that was the first time I'd actually seen somebody write down how I've always worked and my thought processes. And I think that's a really good book if anyone's listening and they have not read that yet. And you can apply that to any industry. It's not just music, but his philosophy is really good. The way he operates as a creative 
is exactly what I'm just saying there. So yeah, that would be my other book um, recommendation. And and finally, just like talking about adversity in the arts, um, and especially for you know the history of black performers and 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 Bane performers, you know Josephine Baker, um, Eartha Kitt, Ella Fitzgerald, Nina Simone, th- these ladies, their stories have always inspired me and you know, the adversity that they overcame, like, you know, Louis Armstrong, they were playing in these theatres where they weren't even allowed to mix, you know, separate entrances, and it's crazy. And if you if you want to learn how the passion of a performer and the, the pulse of someone to, against all odds and everything that is thrown about them, go and immerse yourself. The Josephine Baker story by um, Ian Wood, it's an amazing story about how she started as a chorus girl and how she really evolved and against all odds, like she just, she was born for it, you know? And I, I think those in in page, I like what you said before, stage, page, or screen, Hollywood's always going to glamorize someone's story, but if you want to look at the nitty gritty and what it takes to build a robust, badass performer, history is the way to go. Well, we wish you all the very best with coaching business with backstage badasses with everything that you're doing it's been an absolute pleasure kerry layton thank you very much oh thanks so much for having me guys really wonderful thank you conclusion a massive thank you then to badass kerry layton for today's episode and to recap what have we learned even if you've been a success story for many years your business career whatever may still eventually fail. If that happens, know that you're not a failure. It's simply that success doesn't always last. The critical thing to remember is that you've done it before, so you can do it again. If one thing fails, start a new success story. Think about art as a service. What do people need and how are you delivering on that need? Sometimes what you think your audience needs and what they want are very different. Don't sit around guessing. Get out there and do some research. Turning your passion into a business isn't selling out. If you make money from your work, you can actually be more creative. More money means less grind and reduced financial pressure brings time, affording you the freedom to experiment, to try something different. And finally, try not to rely on outside funding to get all your projects off the ground. While grants are a brilliant and helpful part of the arts ecosystem, financial freedom is a game changer. If you can, fund and take control of some of your own projects. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. Get in touch with me directly at info at behindthespine.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Check out the show notes for additional information and a full transcript of this episode. Goodbye for now. Stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.